It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused, black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show. Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders, they were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played. The 11 Angry Men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are, Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now. That's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. I'm ready to roll today i'm ready to roll march madness is in vegas vegas baby vegas i had a dream from watching my friends put this deal together that someday the ncaa would come to vegas they wouldn't penalize vegas they'd come to vegas with open arms and this is why i love this city welcome in big show today one of my all-time favorite guests will join us in three minutes lon kruger Royalty on this show for what Lon's done for me in this town, what Lon's done for everyone in this town. Coaches versus Cancer. We'll talk to Lon coming up here on his history in the tournament, but mostly what this means to Las Vegas. Paul Gutierrez at the bottom of the hour. Paul wrote a great piece on the history of UNLV and Vegas and Jerry Tarkanian and the penalty phase of Jerry Tarkanian and what's happened. And now Vegas is coming here strong entering a portal now with an NCAA football and basketball because we know hockey, soccer, everything else will follow. This is just incredible. I mean, I am walking on clouds that Las Vegas, Nevada is hosting these events now where Tony Romo a bunch of years ago had had his event canceled, his fantasy football camp and his big convention canceled. What's happened here goes back to my theory. Why Las Vegas? Because people are welcome to come here and have fun. Okay, there are rules. We have rules. There are cameras on you everywhere. We have rules. The big rule is keep an eye on the cameras. They're on you. Other than that, there's no clocks. There's no te- no one telling you you have to go to bed. No one tells me to go to bed. I JT the brick. I might stay up till 3 in the morning certain nights of the week. And Vegas encourages you to have fun. Now we have the Raiders, the Golden Knights. Right? We have UNLV, we have all this, but we're having big events that are coming in that are global. I heard off the record today, ready for this? Taylor Swift and this two-night concert is the biggest event to ever happen in Vegas. I said, excuse me? They said, biggest back-to-back event. It would be like the Rolling Stones playing And if Elvis came back from the dead and played with the Rolling Stones, that's how much bigger. I said, wait a second. I met my wife at a Rolling Stones concert. You're telling me the Swifties are bigger than Metallica and my bands? Yeah, that's how big this is. So Friday, Saturday night, Taylor Swift, biggest event in the history of Vegas. Sorry, Adele. Sorry, Adele. Sorry, Adele. And my Rolling Stones, that's how big this is. I would know. I'm taking out a mortgage. My wife's gone. My wife's going one night. I took out a second mortgage. Why do you think I'm working all these shows five hours a day? The only guy to do that. Because the wife wants to be a Swifty, I guess, and go see the show. So she gets to do it because she puts up with me. I'm excited for this weekend. Please, please get warmer. 
Can the weather get like five degrees warmer for the pool parties and the fraternal order of the men in khaki pants? Please get a little bit warmer so people can go outside and enjoy this weather here because the Sweet 16 is here. Lon Kruger, one of the greatest coaches that I know in any sport, the first coach to take five teams to the NCAA tournament, the impact that he's had on Las Vegas, Oklahoma, where my son is a senior, the NBA, and especially Coaches versus Cancer, our great friend, kind enough to join us. Coach, thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. Coach, I wanted to spend most of our time, because I know you can do this better than anybody, thank the umbrella of people, the army of people that help bring the NCAA tournament to Las Vegas. The people behind the scenes that you work with, I know how humble you are, and you'll step aside at times for certain other people to do this, but I'm so proud to be associated with this city and the men and women that you know who work behind the scenes for this great moment. Let's talk about them. Well, absolutely. So many people, you know, this started uh, years ago, of course. It doesn't happen just overnight. But uh, to get a Sweet 16 uh, in Las Vegas as we have this weekend is so special. And, you know, the, the you know so many people, I, I hate to start listing names because uh, you start leaving someone out. But uh, uh, you've got a good list there. And, uh and again, those folks worked so hard on the on the ground floor, and uh, you know it, it paid dividends. It's great to have the Sweet Sixteen, and then uh, of course the Final Four a few years later. And coach, when you were initially involved in these conversations, and you heard about it, and you were busy coaching your teams and all that, but the impact that you had in Las Vegas, when you heard of this initially, were you one of these guys who said, "Yeah, this could make sense," or initially did you say, "Wow, the NCAA has certain rules and perceptions about Vegas. This could take a really long time." Well, it absolutely, would make sense because we were hosting so many conference tournaments. You know, at the time, and then uh, that number's grown, of course, uh, to what five now. Uh, you know, uh, every um, every early March, so that's fantastic. And uh, I think the NCAA, you know, uh, obviously realized that uh, Vegas is too good of a site, uh, too uh, too much optimism uh, potential. Uh, with uh, having a tournament in Vegas, uh, they came on board, so it's great to see. Lon Kruger is our guest. So, Coach, I've seen you at T-Mobile for some big games, and clearly we're going to have Gonzaga and UCLA. And when you see these host casino properties and these hotels ready to host and they got to feed the players and house their families and the enormity of the fans that come in, also this is a big project, too, up and down the Strip corridor and outside the Strip because there's so many people involved other than the pure basketball people who put this together. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, without without uh, an event here, without a, a, a Sweet 16, folks still come to Vegas for March Madness. Yeah. And uh, the, the Strip and the hotels are packed. And I was actually talking to Dan Rush yesterday at MGM Resorts. And, um, you know, the the time uh, involved to assign uh, – the NCAA assigns the hotels. But, uh, you know, the NCAA is also shopping around for, you know, the various sites and, and prices. So uh, it's, it's a process. It's a big – it's a big undertaking. And uh, – no one can handle it better than, uh, than Las Vegas. Lon Kruger is our guest. So, Coach, take me through this time of year for you and all your great memories, not only as a player but as a coach, taking so many teams to the tournament and the times that you were able to get out of the round of 32 into the Sweet 16, knowing you had a couple of days off to go back to campus but get on a plane again. What was your philosophy about coaching and letting the players take in the victory but knowing you had to focus them on the next game? And that, that's a very good point. We want them to, to you know, obviously our objective uh, first and foremost is to is to win another ball game, and uh, you win in advance uh, in tournament time. But, but also we wanted to enjoy the experience and, and understand the uh, 
significance of what uh, what they were doing. And uh, you know, the first uh, the first game, uh, the first weekend, uh, you went on a Thursday and you got a quick turnaround to Saturday, and uh, that's uh, that's a different challenge from the Sweet 16 because you win that first weekend, two ball games, and now you got four or five days in preparation, a lot more media. You know, time with the media and the, and the fans, and uh, you know, making sure everyone's got the tickets uh, that, that they need yeah. for the event. So, a lot is going on, but the, but the staff does such a great job, and uh, the Dobo, the uh, you know, basketball director of operations, uh, you know, uh, is uh, organizing the flights and organizing the hotel rooms and and all the tickets. So, uh, so many people are involved to make it a good experience for the players. Uh, Coach, tell me about the forward scouting and your assistance over your career at so many great programs. When you had to count on that young assistant, you know, that young kid who comes in, he's with you for two or three years, and then he's got to help you get ready for a team that you haven't played against. He's got to break down film and do some cut-ups for you and sit down with you, and you count on your staff to do that over the years. I know that's been a big part of your success. It's a huge part in every program. Uh, you know, throughout the year, uh, the three assistant coaches uh, – you know, split up uh, in our in our system, uh, split up our opponents in uh, by three in thirds, and uh, and as uh, you know, they play the you know, as UCLA plays uh, uh, tomorrow uh, against Gonzaga. You know, one of the assistant coaches is also scouting UConn. The other was also scouting Arkansas. So as soon as that uh, game's over on Thursday night, they're ready to, to get right to work on the next opponent, whichever one that may be. But it's a quick turnaround, and and again, you rely heavily on your staff to do a great job and. And the video guys uh, putting together those scout tapes, and uh, and everyone uh, you know relies on that heavily. The great Long Kruger joins us. You know, Coach, I want to ask you if you if all of a sudden you're going up against a Big Twelve team that you're real familiar with, and then you have to see a Princeton or Florida Atlantic. Do you have a story like that with all your trips to the tournament, where all of a sudden you're looking at a team that plays a completely different style, and you got to tell your players, hey, what we like to do, we might not be able to do, especially on the defensive end when you're going up against players you've never seen before, and then you see they're got they're on a little bit of a hot streak in the tournament, and you got to take a player out of the game and and kind of slow him down no it's very true that's very true You're, you get to, during conference play you get so familiar with your opponent uh, not only uh, from having played them perhaps the first time around but we're just watching them you know throughout the year but then now you come across uh, individuals as well as teams that are a little bit uh, uh, unknown and uh, it takes a great uh, you know great staff to put together that scouting report to, to take away uh you know, make the shooters drive it, make mm-hmm. the drivers shoot it, and, uh, you know, and uh, break all that down. So that's a fun part. It's an exciting time. It's a great event, and, uh, and these kids will have those uh, memories for a lifetime. Uh, coach, as we wrap it up, Coaches versus Cancer and what that means to you, especially all the other coaches now. I remember when this started here in Las Vegas, you've included me with this all these years and with – DJ Allen and Jay Ship and all of our friends, Bridget, everyone behind the scenes that puts that together – I'm so proud to be associated now because I can turn on a game any night, Big Ten Network, turn on a Pac-12 game, and to see the coaches that you've been able to work with, the ones that impacted you, and especially the ones that you have impacted, and how Coaches versus Cancer has so many victory stories now, save lives, and it continues to get bigger and bigger, not only in Vegas, but on other campuses around the country. Oh, there's so many good stories. Uh, you know, the, the physicians do such a great job. Uh, technology that it continues to advance, and and uh, cancer patients are, are le- you know, living more quality lives and, uh, and uh, you know, living cancer-free lives. Uh, you know, so many advancements have been made. But you know, like you say, appreciate your involvement through the years. And, uh, and you mentioned uh, DJ and Jay and, 
and uh, Bridget and Sam and all the people that do such a good job in putting the event together. And, and most importantly, too, the coaches from around the country. We'll have 20, 25 head coaches come here with their boosters and uh, not only to have a good time, but most importantly, focus on the cause. And that is uh, continuing to fight cancer and continuing to make progress. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, finally, I want to thank you personally. When you sat down with my son in high school on his way to his freshman year in your office in Oklahoma, my wife and I were there, and Kevin and my son walked that campus after me. I think I've shared this with you. We had other trips after that. My son looked at me on campus and said, I'm good, Dad. This is good. I want to I go here. And now he's graduating in May, and I'm bringing an army back there for graduation. And you had a big role with that because my wife and I, you know, you're always concerned about sending a son or a daughter anywhere, but we just felt a little bit at home there, and uh, you had a big part of that, and now i got to get ready for a graduation, and I wanted to thank you, not only personally on the radio, but when I see you again. Thank you so much for that. Well, it's, it's great to see young people have uh, those experiences, and, uh, and uh, you know, you'll have fun with that graduation, I'm sure, and a big celebration, so congratulations on that. Thanks, Coach. Have a great weekend here. You deserve it. Enjoy everything. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Talk to you later. You got it. Lon Kruger, man. A really important person in my life through the, through the people that I've, able, I've been able to meet through him. You know, you, you got, my whole life's been about relationships, friends, and family. You know, and sometimes, you know, you don't hear that on the radio from me. You don't get that. I'm just charging ahead, charging ahead. Who's the next guest? How, who can get on the phone? And Lon is just, when you're around Lon Kruger and you see how he works a room and the people that he mentors and the impact that he's had, He's had an impact on me, just like other people, professional coaches, and Lon coached in the NBA, other people that I've missed, uh, met in other sports. When you see Lon Kruger in this town, and one of the other things I love about Coach Kruger is, you know, Vegas, even when he was coaching at Oklahoma and he was coaching at other schools along the way, he kept Vegas as a priority in his life with coaches versus cancer and everything else he's doing. If you look at this, and, you know, he coached at Illinois, and my wife went to Illinois you got to look at where he's been in his career. He was a great player at Kansas State, a point guard, also a baseball player, multiple sport athlete. Then he becomes an assistant at Pittsburgh State, then Kansas State, then Texas Pan American. Then, look, head coach, you start looking at where he was a coach along the way, right? Kansas State, Florida, Illinois, the Atlanta Hawks, an assistant with my New York Knicks, UNLV, Oklahoma. He's won 674 games, and he's taken five teams. The first coach to do that. First coach to take five different teams to the NCAA tournament. I'm happy we were able to get him on. Paul Gutierrez here at the bottom of the hour. So the Raiders go out and get David Long today. They're adding into their cornerback basket. They have a basket of cornerbacks that are going to be there. So I tweeted out today that I believe that Nate Hobbs has got to develop into a starting corner. Here come the trolls. He is a starting corner. I know that. He's a slot corner. I think that Nate Hobbs has to be developed into a shutdown corner. Okay, not Deion Sanders level, but someone who you can put out on an island against the best player, and hopefully he can go to that level. And I got Raider fans fighting me over that. Raider fans want to fight now. Most of them just want to fight on Twitter. And they, 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 they want, what do you want now? There's another corner who's making some plays on a one-year deal, and Raider fans, oh, my God, oh, my God. He's a, oh, he's, he didn't live up to the Michigan hype and all this. Everybody's under a microscope. God forbid you let Dave Ziegler and his scouts go find a guy like David Long, evaluate him, give him a prove-it one-year deal, 
played in the league for the Rams, made some plays, got some good film on him, and all hell's breaking loose in the Raider Nation. Oh, my God, does that mean we're not going to take a corner at seven? Gomez? No, it doesn't mean anything. They're laying out their roster. They got to fill 90 players. You get that? 90 guys, and then they got to whittle it down to 53. And everybody wants Deion Sanders to come out of retirement with Ronnie Lott and Lester Hayes and play for the Raiders. I didn't say anything that this kid was great. Nate Hobbs needs to be an improved player. They brought him back. If Josh McDaniels did not believe that Nate Hobbs could play at a higher level, he'd be gone. I.e. Darren Waller or whoever you want to. Told you someone would clip me yesterday on my Darren Waller comments. So Darren's probably going to see that and think I'm, I'm undercutting him. No, I'm not. I just said if you don't know why Darren Waller's not here anymore, then I can't help you. Ooh, was, was, was that mean? No, it wasn't about Darren Waller. It was about the fans who were freaking out about Darren Waller being gone. There's more to the story. It's not bad. It's not he's a bad guy. He's a great guy. He's one of the best guys I've ever met in Raider history. He doesn't fit now with what they're doing at the price point and all of that. Well, they, why'd they sign him to begin with? Well, they wanted to see what he could do, and they had to sign him at that point because he wanted to get paid. You know who else wanted to get paid? Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby. They all want to get paid. They look at payroll differently than you do as a Raider fan, okay? They talk to Mark Davis, who gives them the freedom to go sign certain players for value until they're an AFC West champion a two-time AFC West champion trying to get to the Super Bowl, which is every year, by the way. And then there's a diamond free agent, and Dave Ziegler goes, hey, man, I need $90 million, $60 million guaranteed. I need, like, Khalil Mack money to go get a player. And Mark Davis will say, sure, here's the checkbook. Who do you want? Go get him. That's not the point now. They're trying to build this team correctly through the draft. Now, I will compliment Raider Nation on a whole, because I think most of Raider Nation has understood this over the last couple of weeks. The anger and the vitriol has been turned down from a nine, nine and a half, down to about a three or a four, because it's the offseason. Why do you think I'm interviewing Lon Kruger? Why do you think I'm talking about World Baseball Classic and Otani in the second hour of the show? There's not a lot of Raider talk today, because the coach and the GM are in Ohio, in Columbus, checking out Ohio State Pro Day, where they might find a player that could fit the need here. But I, th- I just think that everyone, if you check out the podcast we did yesterday on YouTube and you look at Raiders Roundtable, we went position by position, player by player. Lincoln Kennedy liked some of the guys more than others. I like some of the players. Q jumped in. Q wasn't a huge Jimmy Garoppolo guy. He said it. And he goes, he's starting to understand in his opinion, and he has a great opinion on talent and all that, why Jimmy G could work here. So we're all trying to look at the players that are signed and try to evaluate all of them here. You know, I would love to see the AFC Pro Bowl team all be Raiders. It's not going to be the case. The Raiders have a certain amount of money and a certain amount of money they have to save for their draft picks, and they got to go big in the draft. I have anchored the Raider draft for most of my adult life. For most of my adult life, I got hired in 1998, and I anchored the Raider draft starting in 1999. Most of the time, pretty much, you know, the majority of the time, I was in a radio studio anchoring the draft. Every single player they took, I was excited about. Why wouldn't you be? You were hyped up. They just drafted a player. They evaluated him. They looked at the film. They met him. They interviewed him. They thought that was the right player. And I've worked for a lot of different coaches on this team, dating back to Norv Turner, 
whose son's now with the team. Dennis Allen, going all the way through this. And recently, the drafts have really struggled here in Las Vegas. I mean, it struggled at a level that I cannot figure out. Because I'm a big John Gruden guy from back in the day. That'll never change. Uh, I love Reggie McKenzie as a person. Jack Del Rio, I text with still to this day. A good man. Mike Mayock only was great to me. Hey, Mike, Mike, let's go on the radio. Sure. Mike, let's do a podcast. Sure. Now I'm all in on these guys because I want these guys to do well. I want them to be exceptional. I want Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels to be on a float going down Las Vegas Boulevard with a world championship. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? I'm a season ticket holder. I want the team to do well. So now I'm starting to realize the different pro- uh, processes. Mr. Davis, at the end of his life, wanted to go all in. What a great move by Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis, at the end of his life, wanted to win desperately. He was aging, and he wanted to win. One more time for his wife and son and all of Oakland and L.A. and the Global Raider Nation. Everybody I've been around since I've been with this organization wants to win 24-7, 365. Now two guys come in, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, and people are questioning their will to win? How dare you? Do you know how much more they've won, these two, than the others? Do you have any idea how many times they went to Robert Kraft's backyard where Bon Jovi played and Tom Brady was putting on his fourth, fifth, and sixth ring and they're dancing with Giselle and everybody at the after party? And you question their will to win? Like they want to lose on purpose? Like they don't want to win and lose their jobs? It is a fine line we're trying to draw here this offseason. Disappointing end to last year. I've told you before anyone on this radio channel, the deconstruction of last year's roster to start early and rebuilding this roster and trying to fill some holes now, not all of them, to go big in the draft. That's all that's happened. You now, you now have the plan. I've given you the plan. Some don't like it. Some what? What's your other plan? Your other plan is to fire the coach. I say that's not going to happen. Who was right there? Right? It's, uh, so what, what is the plan that you want? Do you want all free agents? Do you want all draft picks? Do you want a combination of free agents? You're getting that now with heavy dose of draft. I think that's what you're going to get. Are you trying to get a team that's irresponsible with the budget and just throws money all over the place? Or do you want someone that even if they make a mistake, make a mistake with a contract, they'll quickly get out of it and move the player and say, let's go at it again. You know, you're not going to be 10 for 10 on contracts. You're not going to be 8 out of 10. If you're 6 out of 10 with contracts, that's what they do in Kansas City. They've won two Super Bowls recently. The Patriots have won. I'm not a Patriot fan. Yeah, Bobby says, no way. I hope that picked up. I'm not a Patriot fan. I was at both Super Bowls when Eli beat Tom Brady, okay? But I understand what winning is. And I think we're losing our minds wondering what it's going to take to win. What it's going to take to win is you have to thread a perfect needle, very much like the NCAA tournament. There's two number one seeds left, right? So you got Alabama and Houston. I picked Houston to win it all. It's easy to pick a number one seed to win. The Raiders aren't a one seed, okay? They're, they're an at-large now. They're trying to get to the point where they're – I was on a podcast this morning for a half hour in Baltimore with Nestor Aparicio, and he asked me – we were talking about Lamar Jackson. He says, what the hell are the Raiders doing? I said, well, the Raiders are trying to get it right. Dave Ziegler always talks about Baltimore. 
Baltimore is the example. Baltimore, Green Bay, obviously New England. They're trying to set it up from scouting to the GM, to the coach communication, to the players, to contracts, the finance, so they can get it similar to how perfect it was in New England where they just started beating the crap out of everybody. But you can't have that conversation around here because everyone says, well, no one could do it without Tom Brady. Right? That's the other, those are the other people I'm dealing with. Well, with Tom Brady, it was easy to do that. No, you forget they developed Tom Brady. You forget that Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick. I got people who want Hendon Hooker in the first round. Yeah, right. They want Hendon Hooker in the first round, or they want, you know, Levis in the first round out of Kentucky. Tom Brady went in the sixth round. He was the fourth-string quarterback. You think he developed himself? You think Brady went out onto the back practice field, started throwing passes, and became a Hall of Famer? No, he worked with Belichick. He worked with Bill O'Brien. He worked with Josh McDaniels. They molded him with Drew Bledsoe. They gave him the playbook. He got a chance, a miracle. Mo Lewis knocked Drew Bledsoe into next year. Brady comes in, and what was he? Prepared. He was prepared. Who in God's name do you think prepared him? And got him to the next year, and then the next year, and to the point where he was the greatest of all time. It was a family. It was a team effort. We're never going to see Tom Brady again. Jimmy Garoppolo is not Tom Brady, but Jimmy Garoppolo is a player that you can compare to Tom Brady when it comes to his moxie, his preparation, and the way he likes being coached. Another hint. I'm, I'm rolling, Bobby. Don't tell me to go to break. I'm rolling. Another thing right here. Another thing right here. They brought in a quarterback now that can work with them in regards to everything. Criticism, preparation, leadership. Was Garoppolo the number one choice? No. The market changed. Just like you wake up, the stock market's down 600. It's up 750. The market changed. They got Jimmy G. David in Los Angeles on the flagship. David, how are you? Start us off. And David is not there. Yeah, and you wanted me to go to break, right? There you go. There you go. 702-365-9200 as we open up the show. Yeah, that was my first call of the day from L.A. And you wonder why I do this. All right, coming up, we have Paul Gutierrez. He's at practice. He's at practice for the Gonzaga practice. And he wrote a great column we'll get to on the other side. Uh, that's what we got going today. Also, Roxy Bernstein, a play-by-play voice will join us. That's the monologue, fueled by PTs, the best happy hour in town. You know, I, I, honestly, growing up, I didn't know a whole ton about the Raiders. Grew up in Chicago. Uh, only thing I knew about the Raiders was my dad. He, he was a Bears fan, but he also, you know, like the Raiders, he always said they were the cool team. They were the team that everyone wanted to cheer for, the badasses. And uh, I always kind of that was kind of my impersonation of the Raiders. Uh, other than that, I mean, it was a cool organization. I can remember, you know, the throw, Ken Stabler, guys like that, just uh, hard-nosed guys. That it was cool, and that's what we're trying to get back to. I love what he said at the end. That's what we're trying to get back to, Jimmy G. JT brought to you by Resorts World, Scott Sabella's vision of sports in Vegas, Doghouse Saloon, Red Tail. Uh, You need to go to one of those. If you don't have a booth set up for the Sweet 16, head on over to Resorts World. We got you all set at Doghouse Saloon. Good day to be in studio. Justin Brooks is in studio with me, UNLV journalism student who also works for the Raiders. 
and Paul Gutierrez, who started at UNLV and wrote one of the best columns you'll read this week. The NCAA loves Las Vegas, but that wasn't always the case. Paul Gutierrez at Sweet 16 practice today. How are you, Paul? JT, how you doing, man? Yeah, I just walked out from watching the beginning of uh, of Gonzaga out there on the court and had to pick my, my jaw up off the court and wipe my forehead because <laughs> when I saw the UNLV logo on the court and UNLV as a co-host and the actual tournament is here in Vegas, it still is just kind of mind-blowing to, to somebody that kind of knows the history, was, was a student here at that time. And, and, you know, granted, it's been 30 years, as I wrote in the, in the article, but, but at the same time, it's only been a generation. So it seems like yesterday to a lot of people that the NCAA is now warm and fuzzy with Las Vegas in general, UNLV and, and TARC, I guess, in particular. I want to get into TARC and how you did a lot more research on this because you, you being here and you know this story and you've told it brilliantly over the years. But this column really jumped out at me because go all the way back to TARC and what he was dealing with with not only two of the greatest teams all time back-to-back but the sanctions and what was looking over his shoulder the entire time. And now Tark isn't here to defend himself anymore. Tell us about the connection of Jerry Tarkanian to what's about to happen this weekend. Yeah, and that, that's the interesting thing is that, that it, you know a lot of the players on those teams and, and, and Tark's family itself and, and Tark himself when he was still around to, to talk about and still alive uh, would say basically what they had an issue with was the selective enforcement of rules. They, you know, they were never claiming that they were completely clean or squeaky clean or anything like that, but, but they weren't doing anything differently than other programs were doing. A lot of people would point at UCLA of the 60s and the 70s, uh, Kentucky of the 80s, things like that. So they didn't like what they called the selective enforcement of the rules by the NCAA. Talk to Anderson Hunt for the article, and, and as he said in there, he referred to the NCAA and, and their love affair now with, UNL, uh, with Las Vegas, uh, called them pimps and hustlers because they're making money off the back of the sweat and the tears of the players. Now they have the NIL, but as George Tarkanian said, that's not touching the NCAA's money. They're still making their money where they can. So when it goes back to Jerry Tarkanian, he goes back to a feud from when he was at Long Beach State, and he wrote a column in the Long Beach Press-Telegram where he said the NCAA was so hypocritical in the way it administered its, its rulings that they were so mad at Kentucky they gave Cleveland State an extra year of probation, and that didn't sit well, and it kind of went from there. So... You had, like you said, two of the greatest teams in NCAA history in 90 and 91. The Rebels win the title in 90. Uh, Anderson Hunt said the NCAA was on their heads so much that it was hard for them to focus. But it actually worked better for them because they were able to just make it an us-against-the-world mentality yeah. when they went out there. And they still hold the record for the biggest win in championship game history, a 30-point win, 103-73. to 73, And here we are 33 years later. And um, the fact that UNLV is still the only team to score 100 points in a championship game is pretty amazing in and of itself. Paul Gutierrez is our guest. The NCAA loves Las Vegas, but that wasn't always the case. This is a brilliant column at ESPN.com. When did the perception change? We just had Lon Kruger on before you, and I think Lon and a lot of people in town that you know personally really had an impact at lobbying the NCAA for Vegas before the Raiders got here with the Legion Stadium, the birth of T-Mobile, the Thomas and Mac before this. This is a journey to change perception. You wrote about it. When do you think it started? It really started with the acceptance of, of by the country in general, I guess, of, of sports games and gambling, which which is the lifeblood of Las Vegas, right? So when it was accepted by the NFL, because it wasn't that long ago when Las Vegas couldn't even have a um, commercial during Super Bowl Sunday uh, on the broadcast. So that's accepted. The NHL comes here. Dave Rice told me, and he was the coach at UNLV, and he was also a member of that ninth championship team, that his uh, athletic director at the time, Jim Livingood, Livingood, 
he was the one that really got the lobbying going yeah. with the NCAA, saying, hey, look at everything that Las Vegas can do and host as an as a ultimate destination-type city. And it goes all the way back again to when I talked to George Tarkanian. I asked him what his father would feel like today, seeing all these tournaments here, five, five conference tournaments, a regional coming this weekend, the Final Four in five years, the Super Bowl next year. He said he would be vindicated, but he wouldn't be vindictive because he saw it coming all along. And, oh, yeah, the topic of it all is people forget in 1998, after Tarkanian had, had sued the NCAA, they settled, and the NCAA cut him a check for $2.5 million, to which Anderson Hunt said should have been twenty point five for all the harassment they gave him. Paul Gutierrez, you mentioned Jim Livengood, one of the best men I've ever met out here in this market. So happy you mentioned his name. In the final few minutes here I have with you, I want to ask you about the Raiders. Today, the addition of David Long, everyone they added from Marcus Epps, uh, bringing back Faison, which was interesting to me because I thought the new regime compared to the old regime, the players that they tried to and are trying to move on from and who they're going to bring back, Roderick Teamer being back and being retained. What do you think they're trying to do overall as they prepare for the draft? Because I think they brought in a lot of bodies, more than I thought, during free agency. And a couple of good players here, but now it seems like they're almost done. Maybe one more tight end today and what they're trying to accomplish out on the road on these pro days, Paul. Yeah, it shows that they, they their big splash was going to be at the quarterback position, which needed to be the big splash. And, and a lot of fans would want them to make a big splash either at linebacker or, or on the defensive line, but... Yeah, it kind of depends upon the philosophy, right? Is it do you build a defense from the cornerbacks in or from the the, the line out? And it seems like they're going with that cornerback situation. They still have the 12 draft picks, so they can make a little bit of noise in the draft uh, or make a trade for somebody, perhaps. But yeah, to me, it seems like they're looking for some continuity, guys that know the system. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to even the biggest splash with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now he did admit and he acknowledged that he's going to have to relearn the system. He compared it like going from Spanish to French which uh, I don't know how that works, but okay. But, but it, it makes sense if you're just trying for some continuity, some familiarity, and you just kind of go from there. And I thought it was interesting, the, the quote that you used of Jimmy right off the bat where he said his dad was a Bears fan. I want to talk to his dad and see what he remembers of that 1984 epic clash at Soldier Field. That was the game oh. where Mark Wilson got knocked out twice. David Hum, rest in peace, he was knocked out, and his career ended that day. Ray Guy was was hiding because they were going to have to put him in at quarterback for the Raiders, and the Raiders ended Jim McMahon's season in that game, too. So one of the most brutal games ever. But it's interesting that it all kind of comes back and it circles back to a, a perception, an image, and that's what Jimmy G wants to do. And this is what this new regime of the Raiders, they want some continuity to try to get back to that spot. Paul, last one. We'll let you get inside for practice. Really appreciate your time. What's a best-case scenario, not the players, but with the Raiders coming out as you evaluate the roster, I think they need four starters, not not four developmental players. You can develop the quarterback. So if they get a quarterback early or middle or late, they'll develop him. But defensively, how many players do they have to get out of this draft early so they can hit the ground after the preseason and have a chance because they're really good players and we all know that before they come in? Yeah, the first name that always pops in my head at seven if he's there and if they want to attack it from the cornerback position is Christian Gonzalez from, from Oregon. He seems to me to be the kind of guy that fits the system. Um, yeah, they need a cornerback. They need a linebacker, but not a lot of high grades on linebackers for, for day one. Um, that doesn't mean you can't find a starter there on day two or day three. I mean, Max Crosby was a day three guy. So, And then also some help on the interior pass rush. Again, it's a checklist that every team in the NFL wants, but that to me is the, the level. You go cornerback, defensive line, linebacker, and if you can find three starters in the draft there, 
now you now you're starting to, to do a little something and as they say now you're starting to cook with gas Thank you, Paul. Enjoy the rest of the day. It's a big week, and your column was fantastic on Vegas now in the perception. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, JT. All right, Paul Gutierrez. Two good guests right out of the gate. Paul Gutierrez on this column about Las Vegas, now a capital city of the NCAA, question mark? Yeah. Yeah, and and he mentioned Jim Livengood. Lon Kruger mentioned Dan Rush over at MGM. I mentioned X's and O's of success and the people behind there, coaches versus cancer. What is what has what has evolved in Vegas now? And I'd like to take a couple calls on that today if you if you're available for that, even if you're out of out of Nevada or out of state on the perception of Las Vegas. Again, cuz I keep it close to my heart, the Oakland perception with the Raiders. No one wanted to leave Oakland. Oakland would have been great. You build the new stadium, a brand new Oakland Coliseum, a brand new Oakland gorgeous Allegiant Stadium up there. I was fine with that. I would have got on the plane again every Tuesday and Saturday to go up there. But now we see what we have in Vegas overall as the entertainment and potential sports capital of the world. When people say sports capital of the world, they're saying that because of boxing. And I think we lose track of that. And if I had more time with Paul, I think we'd go back to Ali and Holmes and Hagler Hearns and what boxing meant here. There were no pro teams here when we had the biggest fights in the world. That was really a big part of this now. So as you know, I'm pro-Vegas and I want to see Vegas continue to be good. If you don't live in Vegas, I don't expect you to move here, but I expect you to come here more and come here more and have a good time and appreciate everything that we're doing here. And if you have seen the evolution of Vegas as a sports town and you were just here, say you just came out here for something, talk about the evolution and what it means and uh, how important that is going forward. Ron and Henderson, at times a tricky call. Go ahead, Ron. How are you? Hey, JT. I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, born and raised, 89 here, Las Vegas, born at UMC. Um, mm. You know, of course, the Rebels. Uh, we had the Stars. We had the Thunder back in the day, and that's all I grew up with pretty much, you know. So as, as, as a sports-hungry kid growing up in this town, you know, playing sports and stuff, I, I, I waited for this day, you know. And it's such a great thing to see, you know, that we get to reap, uh, you know, the fruit of what we've been saying for years and years and years. You know, it's, it's kind of laughable being, a, you know, local as you know, mm-hmm. but we all knew, everybody knew, except for the big wigs, you know? So it's just kind of good to see them eat crow and finally embrace Vegas as a sports town. You know, I'm happy. Uh, you know, I can't wait to see what the next 10 years hold, you know? So uh, as a proud Las Vegan, I'm just excited for this time in sports. Well, as Thanks, you know, I appreciate the call. Thank you. And what we also know, too, there's the glasses half full, and mostly on radio, it's always glasses half empty. The empty portion of this is you can't have 30,000 40,000 Kansas City Chief fans in your building. You know, you can't have that. You can't have that. And why is that? That happens for twofold. For those who say, well, the Raiders need to win more. No debate. We know that. Obviously, we know that. But the bigger issue is that people want to come here. So you can't stop people from coming here. The Niner fans who came here wanted to come in, and they would take a $250 ticket and pay $750 for it. So people are like, oh, my God, and they're selling their $250 ticket for $750. And people are buying Christmas presents for next year on selling one game. I'm done with that. I, I'm not going to fight that fight anymore. I've told you. I'm told you. If you know, I don't have to have this conversation with the black hole. When I'm sitting with the black hole, they're not selling their tickets. I'm not saying I, I sit right behind the goalposts. I sit next to Gorilla Rilla. You don't see Gorilla Rilla selling his tickets. You don't see Cisco selling his tickets. But other fans and brokers and brokers who bought the tickets and other people want to come here and have a good time. Look at the sports books. My son's coming in tonight 
with my nephews, my three nephews, for his bachelor party. And they're going to be all over town at this sports book, that sports book, whatever. They want to visit here. They could have had the bachelor party in New York City. They have it in Vegas. We're going to say go away, right? They want to come here. So what's going to happen now going forward with Las Vegas is when do the Raider fans completely say, this is our house, we completely own it? I don't know. I mean, you're not going to tell a Green Bay Packer fan coming here for the first time he can't come. You can't. They're going to buy a suite. They're going to buy something. They're going to get inside. And they're going to wear a Green Bay Packer jersey. And I look around and I, you know, because I remember this happened to me when I was in Green Bay with the Raiders, with my former mentor, Andrew Ashwood, legendary, legendary Raider fan. We were there with Silver and Black Productions. We all had Raider gear on in the parking lot. And they were coming to all of us saying, please come back. You guys are great, man. We'd love to have you back again. They weren't, like, yelling at us, don't ever come back. Because they're, they're Lambo, right? It's Vince Lombardi. They won a lot. I don't, I don't expect to see that now, but I've noticed one thing, that Raider fans have been really respectful to everybody who's coming in, even though they wish there were less of them coming in. You know, it's a, it's a group of people saying, all right, look, these people are here. And, you know, they're looking around our stadium. They're going, this is magnificent. I'm up at the torch with Eric Allen, and I just see people almost bump into our set. They're looking up at the torch, and they bump into it. They're like, oh, my God, look at the window behind the set. Look at the strip behind. They want to see this place. Well, I hope there's a point in the next two to three years where you can't get a ticket. You can't get in because the Raider fans have every ticket, and they're not going to sell it to the out-of-towners. Hopefully that happens sooner than later. Thanks to Paul Gutierrez for joining us, and Lon Kruger. We're pretty wide open the rest of the way. Roxy Bernstein is going to join us a little bit later on. I had a cool conversation with LaFonso Ellis, whose son played in the NCAA tournament early on. I'm going to replay a portion of that coming up a little bit later on. This is the flagship of the Raiders, brought to you by Virgin Hotels, Las Vegas. Line to right field. Kondo turns. There it goes. Straighten it out. Second deck. One run game. That was incredible on FS1. I'm going to spend some time. Second hour of the show. This is our one chance ever to talk about the World Baseball Classic and how it affected you. Otani striking out Trout. And how, what, what effect did that have on you as a baseball fan? It had a big effect on me last night. And I'm going to spend some time on it in the second hour. That was absolutely fabulous. I mean, off the charts. If you missed that, if you didn't know, Fox blew it not putting that on Fox and putting it on FS1. They blew it. That should have been on Big Fox. I don't care what they had on. I could care less. It was fantastic fantastic to see. And Otani is the – I'm a Babe Ruth guy. Sorry. Seven World Series revolutionized the game. Was more important and popular than Presidents presidents at the time back then i'm sorry when everybody's like otani's better than babe ruth slow your roll okay babe ruth was a great pitcher too uh, babe ruth hit more home runs than entire teams otani's not going to hit more home runs than judge a let alone all of the yankees he's a great player I'm, I'm not, no debate but slow your roll on he's better than babe ruth okay he's not babe ruth okay babe ruth is a name that everyone on god's green earth knows and maybe they'll know otani like that but that at bat against um, Trout, we'll get to that in a little bit, was just, I mean, I'm not blown away by many things, 
That blew me away. I wanted Trout to take him upper deck to win the game, and he threw two 102-mile-an-hour pitches at his teammate. Not at him, but into the, into the strike zone. And I'm saying, man, whoo, look at this guy. And Otani, for him to do that, the big thing I'll talk about next hour is we are so bleeping soft in this country now. We are afraid to step off the curb. We might twist our ankle or a bus might hit us. Give me a break. Otani played there. How dare you, Aaron Judge, not play in that game? You don't think they could have used Aaron Judge in the sixth, seventh inning? He didn't want to play. Okay? And for a lot of reasons. I get it. The money he's making and all that. Otani played. That shuts up everybody else. Otani's bigger than everybody, and he played. So anybody who was like a a choice candidate to play in that game and passed on it because they wanted to go on vacation with their daughter in the offseason before spring break, give me a break. Mitch in New Jersey. Go ahead, Mitch. What do you got for me today? Go. Hey. I'm doing good, Mitch. Go ahead. What's happening? Hey, first of all, I hope the Angels can keep both of them, those guys. I mean, my Dodgers messed on that drafting trout mm-hmm. and that sign uh, time. So keep them. I, I, want, I don't want any excuses. I know the money's extravagant. I hope the Reds get their back, uh, future quarterback in the mid-round this year or next year. I'm not, we're mm-hmm. not going to be finishing in the top ten. There's so many good quarterbacks coming next year, but I think it's deep. I'm thinking Jackson Dart next year, but I know I'm yeah, I, I, I Mitch, appreciate it. I'm not talking and, about the Raider quarterback next year. Well, no, I appreciate your call. Let me let me say this again. If you want a tight end or a quarterback, okay, say you want a tight end for the Raiders or a quarterback, I want a defensive starter. Does that make sense to everybody? You want a quarterback now? When? In the first round? Then you're losing out on the best available defensive player. And you're going to sit in that stadium next year with a backup quarterback when you know that the starting defender was right there in front of you? Okay, you explain that to me. I'm all for getting a quarterback. And if the Raiders take a quarterback in number seven, it's pretty much saying to Jimmy G, thank you. You're our quarterback. It's a one-year deal. And we're gonna because you want to get the new quarterback in if you're gonna take him in the in the top seven. If you take a tight end in the third round, why aren't you taking the best cornerback available, best linebacker available? Best what are we doing here? So whatever they do, they're gonna be much smarter and more prepared than I am on the radio to get that player. I'm not going to debate that. But the Raider Nation is confused. You want a quarterback now? Then why'd you bring in Jimmy G? Black on black. The whole the whole place going, oh my God, we got a good quarterback who wins more than Carr. You want to develop someone behind him? Go ahead and do that. I would get a starting defensive player right now who can start. And I don't want to hear, well, it's going to take two years to mold. No, 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 no. I want this defensive player to come into the NFL like Sauce Gardner did with the Jets and play and be a pro bowler. I don't think that's hard. I don't think that's a big reach, and I think the Raiders are going to do it. Hour number two coming up next.